Welcome back. Sling and Quack coming to you live from Amsterdam after a huge, huge, huge Civil War win. Uh, I'm Rusty, joined every week as usual uh, by Ifo Bumaye. That was cathartic, is the word that you were looking for. It was. There was so much pettiness by the Oregon by, by by the Oregon team. I loved it. I thought it was so funny. Um so if somehow you're a duck fan and you and you missed this, um there the Oregon coach Oregon State coach made a comment that he knew that Oregon State was gonna come back last year when uh the ducks put on raincoats in the second half because that meant that Oregon wasn't prepared for the wasn't prepared for the conditions. Their hearts weren't in it. Exactly. They they just couldn't compete as hard. Yeah. So um Taggart was asked about it and he completely avoided it. Probably for the better. It was pretty obvious though that he was doing it for like a specific reason. Like he went out of his way to let people know that he was dodging the question. Um, and then after the game, uh, all the players, or a lot of the players, put on raincoats before they went and sh- shook hands with the Beaver players after the game. It's so beautiful. Also, Rob Mosley was even getting in on the pettiness and was like, I'm sitting in the press box with my nice puffy jacket on. And then even later in the game, he's like, man, this puffy jacket is just keeping me so warm. It was, I just, everyone so, was in on it and it was so funny. I, I love, I, I, I have a particular affection for petty athletes and not, not petty people, but in the realm of entertainment, I just love pettiness. I love Russell Westbrook. I love the entire NBA. And I loved this past week of the Civil War because not only was there the raincoat comment, there was the let's huddle up at midfield at Oregon and break a huddle with um, F the Ducks. It, it was so great. The My one particular favorite photo out of <laughs> I know where you're going. out of the Civil War is the Beavers head coach and Willie Taggart shaking hands and I say that kind of in air quotes because if you rewatch them shaking hands at the end of the game it's, it's like, like five. it's it's barely hand contact and both of their faces say so much <laughs> yeah it's so fun. We we should put that up again in 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 the uh, the body of this post because uh, it, words don't do it justice. You can tell one so, person basically Tiger's face is like we just took care of business against you guys, like we just embarrassed you. And Hall, the Oregon State coach, is like I just want to get out of here. So just in case y'all have been living under a rock. Let's just quickly sum up the bare bones of the game. So, spoiler alert, we won. 69 to 10. Gronkowski would be happy. Nice. It was the... We set a record for the highest margin of victory ever in the Civil War. It was a little bit better than the 0-0 toilet bowl. Um, Which, fun fact, is the last tie... In college football history, the toilet bowl. It's because they don't make them like they used to. Um, Our 52 points scored in the first half were the most by any FBS team in any half this entire season. Um, Since Justin Herbert has been back, so just putting his stats together over this entire season, in the seven games that he played, 
we've averaged over 52 points per game, which would be number one in the country if that was extended over an entire season. We've had 281 rush yards per game, which would be number six, and 7.13 yards per play, which would be number seven nationally. So, yes, the middle of the season was painful, but God damn, we look good. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I mean, the hype has already begun for next year, looking at season win totals. And, okay, we can get to that later. But it's really, it's, I feel bad for the mediocre bowl team that we're actually going to be playing against. Oh, man, it is going to be so much fun. Because we we, we could do the, the bowl preview when when we actually get an opponent, but right now our S&P Plus ranking is 39 overall. Um, that takes into account our entire season's worth of uh, results. So let's just say we were just taking the Herbert games. I'm willing to bet that we would be probably 16 to 17 at that point. Yeah. I, I think that's a reasonable jump. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other teams that we're projected to play against, uh, West Virginia, for one, is number 61. Now, granted, they've had injury issues of their own, but 61 in the S&P Plus. Uh, Kansas State, they are 65. Uh, another one was Texas Tech, I think you said? Yeah. They're 56. So Army was another one I saw, but that is an extreme minority. Oh man, I would not want to play Army. Yeah, I like seeing football. Yeah, like real modern day football. Yeah, um, like if 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 it was like another Navy Notre Dame game from two years ago, where Notre Dame touched the ball twice on offense in the second half, I would probably cry. Just like what an be. injustice. We basically we just need to start a campaign for next year already. We're going to take what the announcers kept saying. It's going to be Hubert for Heisman. Hubert? Yes. They Apparently they didn't know that his name was Herbert. It, it was bad. Mario Ta. <laughs> that was the only bad thing about that game. <laughs> so um, let's let's do a fun little segment. Top three under-the-radar favorite things from the Civil War game. Go. Uh, my first one was just picking on the Oregon State defensive backs the whole time. It seemed like no, it, it was Oregon was running a lot of verts, just basically like running posts and verts on the outside and splitting cover twos. Then Oregon State tried to run like cover three and and Oregon's like just throwing trips to one side and it was just such an awesome example of Taggart being like a step ahead of whatever the Beavers were doing um just throwing bombs after already scoring 28 points in a quarter and just being like you know what we're gonna we're gonna keep going that was one of my favorite things I would combine that with icing the kicker right before halftime. Yes. Yes, that was number two. That was number two. It was icing the kicker before halftime. Again, pet wars. Yes. So here's the fun thing, though. I texted you about this. I was looking through um, Rob Mosley and Willie Taggart's likes on Twitter because you can get a good feeling of what they're actually doing with recruiting. Because they'll like recruits tweets that uh, that they're talking to. But on this occasion, Taggart was liking tweets that were about him icing the kicker. I saw one he liked that was like Sports Illustrated. There was another one that was like Bleacher Report or something. But he just started just liking all these articles about about him icing the kicker and doing all this other stuff during the game. It was so funny. I just like to imagine him sitting in his, like, lazy boy at home and just, like, giggling to himself. Just, just 
just hitting the like button on every tweet, searching like icing kicker Oregon and just going down the line. It's so fun. It just makes me happy every time. Um, my what was your third? Uh, you go. Let's break this up. Okay. So my first. I'll go in chronological chronological order. My first was. I want to say the first defensive series. It may have even been the first defensive play. Was Oregon State motion their slot wide receiver from the left to the right of the field? That they was Ryan kind of, Nall. Oh yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's done anything against Oregon in the past. As I sob, cry quietly. <laughs> um, so they were motioning him from the left to the right. They were kind of pinned back. Like, not quite on their end zone, but, like, maybe the 8-yard line, 10-yard line, somewhere around there. And Lamar Winston Jr. sees everything. And he comes up like a bullet out of hell and just flattens this dude. It was – that was, like, the moment where – let's say the defense didn't continue to perform admirably – you know, that's just an outlier. But considering how the defense played, that was a sign of things to come. And it was so much fun because you could see the wheels turning in his head. As soon as he saw that motion, he started creeping up just a little bit. And then the hammer came. So that was number one. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that really spoke to just to how well Oregon was prepared on both sides. Like, I already got into a little bit on offense, but... The defense was ready for absolutely everything, and I think that was a that was a, that was the first play of the game on defense. I saw that and Lamar and Winston flying up, and I just thought to myself, "These guys, these guys are ready. These guys are ready." My number two, I will combine a little bit. Um, my number two was sending the seniors out the right way, so. On a night where Royce Freeman set the Pac-12 rushing record for career rushing touchdowns, passing an Oregon State Beaver. Um, on a night where Tyrell Crosby finished off what has been a, an amazing career for him at left tackle. Um, you A, they got sent out the right way, and B you could see visible traces of their leadership and like another guy, Charles Nelson on, I think it was a fly sweep, but maybe it was like a little bubble screen. Yeah. It was a fly sweep to, uh, Charles, Charles Nelson coming off the, the block and just decking dudes was so much fun to watch. So, that was my second favorite thing was a the play of the seniors um but just like the ability to have such a fun game as your last game in Austin has to be pretty rewarding oh yeah what's your third um cuz i have a very very set third it's not fat mac on the sidelines is it of course, it's Fat Mac on the sidelines. <laughs> okay. there's, there's always an inclusion of Fat Mac, and mine is a hundred percent the video of Fat Mac. Soldier Boy dancing along with Soldier Watch Boy. Oh man, followed closely by uh, Jalen Jelks um, dancing to what was it? Uh, Jump on it. <laughs> yeah, that was funny too, and. What's funny is that was on, uh, they were reviewing a fumble recovery during that time. The amount of fun that was had on the sideline is just unparalleled. I yeah. love football. So mean, that was. It was really, I, we talked about this last time. It was, it was really nice this game and last game to see these guys having a ton of fun because those five games that Herbert didn't start were rough. And I think that was definitely a stretch that could have basically broken um, the team in a way. 
caused these huge divisions between offense and defense because offense obviously wasn't pulling its own weight and leaving the defense out to dry. But the seniors kept it together. Um, they kept everyone on the same page, stayed together as a team, so it was really nice seeing them kind of enjoying the benefits of that. Just absolutely, just absolutely shutting down someone who was like already getting penciled in for a dark horse, uh, dark horse Heisman run next year, and just absolutely crushing the Beavers, who, in like a really cathartic sense, because I think the loss to the Beavers was the biggest low point. The fourth quarter, just twenty-four off tackles in a row. We were both. Uh, defenders of Helfrich and saying that it wasn't necessarily the doomsday scenario. I think the reports coming out later of things on the team kind of showed that there was a lot more happening under the surface than we thought. Um, But there was definitely the feeling in the fourth quarter uh, when Oregon State came back uh, to take the lead after being down 10 and just running off tackle 24 times for a touchdown. That was, like, really... Even to me, I was like, this is this is the end of Helfrich's time here. It, it was our worst Stanford PTSD comeback, but, like, an extra layer on top. Yeah. It was a less t- talented Stanford. Man, that was, that was bad. So to get back on the right, right side of things was... Absolutely stomping them into oblivion. It it was fun. It was good. All right. So um, let me see if um, I can come up with another one real fast since we both had Fat Mac. I mean, that's kind of fitting. He's been wonderful. He is. He's so awesome. I love Fat Mac. So let's. so the Civil War was not the only thing that happened on Saturday uh, and quickly following on Sunday. There was a lot of coaching turnover, including the highlight for me was on Saturday, Brett Bielma getting fired on the field. So is that even worse than being left at an airport? So apparently what happened was, as he was walking off the field, the athletic director was like, I need to talk with you. And then they went into a room, basically, and she told him. And then she gave one of the most awkward press conferences I've ever seen. It was like, it was like Paul Manafort giving an interview to CNN, like, oh, bye, bye, we're going to find a coach. <laughs> so to date... And this includes some positions that have already been filled. To date, there have been 15 coaches fired in college football. And I don't really want to take joy in people losing their jobs because that's not cool. On principle, yeah. Um, With that being said, we love college football because it's unpredictable and it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And Sunday was a very crazy day. Wow, was it a crazy day? I mean, just in terms of the Pac-12, A, uh, Chip Kelly got a job, so congrats to the UCLA Bruins on being the 2018 through 2022 Pac-12 champions. Um, Chip Kelly got a job. Todd Graham is out at Arizona State, which kind of surprised me, actually, based on how they had performed this year. He was one of those guys who, at the start of the year, we were saying, like, oh, okay, him and Rich Rod are probably going to be on the hot seat. But I actually thought Arizona State, like, he did a pretty decent job there this year. Um, For some reason, we lost there. That was one of our more inexplicable losses because we still had Herbert at that point. Um, it was the first quarter. Yeah. It was a terrible yeah, first quarter. That was pretty 17 bad. 17 in the first quarter, I think 20 for the last three. So, But that was that was the one game two. Arizona State was able to pick on our freshman cornerbacks. Yep. yep. And... Honestly, that was the one time I think the offense was completely unprepared for something. That was like my one game where I was like, 
coaching staff really messed that one up. So, but back to you. Yeah. UCLA, so the the UCLA, one of the things one of the things that I heard was that Arizona State had decided last year that they weren't going to hire him. We're going to keep uh, Graham. Um. And because basically they were renewing his contract one year ahead of time, which is probably the least secure way to do it. And so he yeah. got the notification that they weren't going to automatically renew it for the next year. So, but apparently things had already soured last season, and they pretty much already made their choice. I mean, I wouldn't want to hire Ty Graham either based on his past performance at Pitt, uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah, and if well, there's anyone who was just a, like a career coach mover, it was him. Yeah, he he's definitely looking out for number one, which is fine. But I mean, I don't know. Um, Oregon State still has not fire, found a long-term head coach. Uh, their job has been open for over 50 days, and they're kind of falling behind. Um, so that's the Pac-12. And then in addition to that, so Dan Mullen went to Florida. Tennessee, we'll, we'll get to Tennessee. <laughs> that that uh, deserves more than just a, a casual mention. We'll, we'll get to Tennessee. Kevin Sumlin is out at Texas A&M and may be going to Arizona State, which that would be interesting. Yes, that would be really interesting. That could be fun because Arizona State in the past, when they've gotten some good recruiting classes, especially out of California and with Sumlin's ties to Texas, he could turn them into a pretty good recruiting team in the the Pac-12 South. And, you know, they're never going to have as much, as much resources as a USC or a UCLA. Uh, but he could do some interesting things there if he could get the talent. I mean, his, his star has kind of diminished a little bit since the Johnny Manziel days, but you never know. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's so, I think it's a real sign of the times though that, uh, someone had a record well above 500. Um, and he did much better than the person that he took over for. And he still was fired. Like, he was I mean, a huge improvement. He got Bo Pelini. Yeah. Without, without cursing out their fans. Like, he set himself up where he had one season where he was really flying high. And then he had a whole bunch of, like, good seasons, but nothing great. And then the fan base ate him alive. Um, The only other coaching news that I want to touch on uh, before we move on to Tennessee and have a little bit more in-depth conversation about that train rack is the Nebraska job. Mike Riley is out. Uh, Oregon ties. Scott Frost has obviously been talked about because he is a Nebraska boy and he could be coming home. Um, my favorite news story is that a local Nebraska TV station <laughs> yeah. called Scott Frost's mother and put on put on public TV that she would really like him to come home and she would enjoy it if he was closer to home. <laughs> I mean, fake news, everyone. Oh, yeah, and I think it too is like, don't call me again. So, do we have to talk about Tennessee? I feel like we should talk about Tennessee because of just how insane it was. Okay, go ahead. Because I have never seen anything like this before. So, Tennessee fired Butch Jones. As is after right. their first, after uh, their first eight loss season in school history, first time they've ever gone winless in SEC play. Uh, oh yeah, they lost to Vanderbilt on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you're, gonna bad, you're gonna have a bad time. It's great. Um, oh, also, did you notice that Dan Mullen dropped a Champions of Life reference? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, he, he dropped. He dropped that, and he dropped an it, it means more reference. 
which is yeah. the SEC uh, like slogan or whatever. Very on brand. It's great. Um. So Tennessee fires Butch Jones. They don't get Chip Kelly, which was never realistic to anybody except the fan base. Um, they didn't get John Gruden, which was ridiculous to everybody except the Tennessee fan base. Nor does it even make sense. Apparently he wanted like $10 million a year. So they would have paid $10 million a year to a coach who has never worked in college athletics before and who hasn't coached in the NFL in like 10 years. How does that make any sense? But but he won the Super Bowl once. Yeah, if you, if you want to run Spider 2 Y Bananas all day, that's fine. I wouldn't just be paying $10 million for it. And it was funny, too. He gave, like, you don't want me in your college program. I'll recruit the hell out of these kids. And it was basically like, I will break every rule there is. I don't care. Um, so, uh, a few names, a few other names came across, and it turns out that they were going to hire Greg Schiano. You may recognize Greg Schiano because he was the head coach at Rutgers. Uh, back when yeah, did. when Ray Rice was there, he did admirably at Rutgers. He was one game under five hundred or one game over five hundred. He was basically right about five hundred, which at Rutgers, that is uh, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. And, and point of uh, point of parliamentary procedure on John Gruden, he actually has worked in college athletics, uh, but the last time he worked in college athletics was nineteen ninety one. So it's been a little bit. What was his role though? Uh, wide receivers coach at University of Pittsburgh. Before then, he you worked at University of the Pacific, Southeast Missouri State, and he started out as a graduate assistant at University of Tennessee in 85-86. Oh, there's the connection. That makes sense. Yep. So, uh, in short... He's coming home. He's never worked in modern college athletics. Yeah. Continue. Um, Great So... Then it turns out that the uh, Vols want to hire Greg Schiano. So Greg Schiano has an awesome year at Rutgers. Went to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Gave them all MRSA. Huh? Gave them all MRSA. Yes. Um, then he has most recently been the defensive coordinator at Ohio State under Urban Meyer. Um, Greg Schiano also may be familiar because he was a finalist. It was rumored that he was like a finalist for the Oregon head coaching job, which I would have been furious about. Yeah, we dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah, we dodged a bullet on that one. But what's noticeable, uh, what was noticeable about the Tennessee trying to sign him was that uh, they were. it was allegedly done. Like, they already agreed to everything. It sounds like Tennessee might be off the hook because for a contract to take effect, it needs to be signed off by the school chancellor, which didn't happen. So there's a possibility there was actually never a contract that was fully signed or completed, which lets them get out of possibly a $20 million buyout. So the thing that was most striking to me about this and the problem that their athletics director and their entire department is going to have in the future is the Vols fans, now they know they have the power. They They went insane. Before, they were just, all right, we're, we're going to be on a message board and we're going to, I don't know, do they have podcasts in Tennessee? They're going to record their podcasts and complain about ball football. And it's just kind of like yelling into a dark void where it makes you feel better, but it doesn't really do anything. But they went so nuts. They painted their rock. They flooded the athletic department like offices to the point where actually apparently security was called there. And they effectively did a giant real-life Twitter poll and said, no, this guy is not going to be our head coach. 
and the department actually listened to them. So now, anytime in the future where they don't like something, even if they're as a fan base is split, they know that they have some sort of power. Where if they get enough people that are upset, they can pretty much make the athletics department do whatever they want them to do. Yeah. Which is not a model of success is crowdsourcing your athletics department decisions. Yeah, I mean, why not just let Twitter polls dictate everything? So... One of the ne- one of the craziest things was the reasoning why Tennessee, didn't, Tennessee fans didn't want him. Um, there are a lot of reasons why you could have not wanted Greg Schiano, all of which are valid. They didn't need to make up a reason. Um... So the big the big stickler, the big sticking point, was they were claiming that Shiano knew about Sandusky when he was at when he was a coach at Penn State, but didn't do anything about it. So they were like he covered up child rape at Penn State, which is not accurate. Well, um, and people like, oh, it was it was under sworn oath that that so and so said it. Uh, it was. McQuarrie was under oath, but he was saying that somebody had told him about Shiano. It was basically hearsay of hearsay, which yeah. it may be right, it may not be right. But we all know the real reason why Vols fans were upset. Right. The but he, okay, so even though, even then, though, the DA decided not to prosecute because he didn't find it viable or it didn't, there wasn't anything behind it, basically. It was hearsay of hearsay. We know the the real reason why Vols fans are upset about the potential Shiano hire, and it's because he didn't win enough ball games at Rutgers and at Tampa Bay to make them interested. Which is fair. They didn't need to be like he covered up child rape. It's like, what? Yeah, which is fine. But I guarantee, if that same hearsay of hearsay uh, was attached to a guy like I don't know. Not even Nick Saban, like a Kirby Smart. Let's let's say they swung for the fences and they were going to hire Kirby Smart. If that same rumor was attached to him, Vol fans would be on board. They'd be welcoming him to the Vol Navy. It wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't even come up. So that was fun, and um, I don't know. I mean, what names have been connected to this job? Like basically all of the names, but it's been. At this point, Mike Leach apparently was offered the job. Uh, David Cutcliffe was apparently offered the job. At Duke, and he said no. And he did. He turned it down, Mike which I don't Gundy. Him. Yeah, Mike Gundy said no. Mike Gundy said no. I mean, this... I'm sure seemed, Scott Frost said no. I, I saw that the, um, um, the SMU coach was apparently floated as a potential I mean this seems to me like one of those maybe Tennessee just hires Brady Hoke for the next year and they try for the number one draft pick and then they just try to hire another coach the next year maybe maybe they just sit out this year of, of coaching hiring I have I have a take that's what we're here for there is one coach, I think, in college football who's legitimately not afraid of anybody, of any other coach in the SEC. And I think they should hire that person. Do you know who that person is? Let me think about it. Is he an active coach? Yes. I was going to say Bob Diaco. I'll give you five questions. It won't take you that long, though. So that's one. You're thinking of Mike Leach? No. Damn it. Uh, PJ Fleck? No. Is he younger than 45? Yes. Did he formally coach at Tennessee? Yes. Is he the current coach of the FAU Owls? Yes. <laughs> Owl up, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin needs to go to Tennessee. He did a pretty good job when he was there. Time uh, is a full circle. He is not afraid of Saban. 
He is not afraid of anybody else in the conference. Um, I think he would do really well there. As, of course he's not As afraid. immature as he is at times, which is seen in his Twitter feed, which is actually hilarious now. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if, I, if as an athletic director I would want my coach making some of those jokes. Uh, but his Twitter's hilarious. I think he would do an awesome job there. And, I mean, what gets lost in the whole his Twitter is ridiculous and so on and so forth, um, he's actually done a remarkable job at Florida Atlantic this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, so right now, if, if we're just looking at S&P Plus rankings – now there's a little noise in these these rankings because um, the group of five teams didn't play quite as many games against Power Five schools uh, due to a whole bunch of different factors. Hurricane, the Hurricanes being one of those. But right now in S and P Plus, Florida Atlantic is ranked number 15 overall in the country. I mean, he has done a phenomenal job at FAU, and. I mean, at this point, with how badly Tennessee has botched the coaching search, they could do a whole lot worse than Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and I honestly think, too, that that job is now so toxic that nobody wants to go close to it. I would agree. I mean, at this point, you're probably looking at either a really young guy who has high upside or, like, because of it, because it's Tennessee, like moderately high upside, not even like crazy high upside. Or you're looking at someone like a David Cutcliffe who has made his money and had a good career at a lower level school who is going to try and, I don't know, take five years, swing with the big boys, and see what happens. Yeah, but I don't think anybody wants to coach at Tennessee. No, so many people are passing on it. It's it's crazy. They're literally at the bottom of the pecking order of open coaching positions right now. So, all right, man, we've spent a lot of time on a Ducks podcast talking about Tennessee. It's but really interesting though. There's so much football. crazy stuff happening. The college football is just nuts right now. Um, in other news, we also had one of the most fun non-conference basketball tournaments that I've ever seen in the PK-80 where we were participants. Um, Not necessarily our games were fun, but the whole tournament was just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was was so great. So, um, quick recap of that. The Ducks went one and two. We lost against UConn won in an overtime against DePaul, and then lost against uh, Oklahoma when their f- like five-star freshman went for, I think, 43 points. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was unbelievable. Um, what were your takeaways from the weekend? Now, granted, I will say that I was only able to watch the UConn game and the Oklahoma game, so I didn't watch the DePaul game. Um, but... I saw some highlights, and I saw enough of the other games where I feel pretty confident with takeaways from the weekend. Um, Peyton Pritchard has really stepped up his game. Okay. Um, He was amazing in the second game that they played. Right now, it's escaping me. Who did they play in the second game? DePaul. DePaul, yeah. He played amazing. He filled in perfectly. Uh, he was hitting threes. He was running the court. Um, he really has taken his game to another level, um, and that that's one of the biggest standouts because he was the, he's the only player back who averaged more than like seven minutes a game last year. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, this weekend had a bunch of good and bads. Um, good for our long-term growth, especially with how, A, how young this team is because a number of our significant contributors are true freshmen, Um, but B, 
like you were talking about, we really only have one significant contributor coming back. So even the guys that have been in the program for me for a year, like Paul White, they're still learning to play together. So the positive to me of competing in this tournament was we got an early season test where they could really, the team could really see how they stacked up against other very high level programs. Um, you know, UConn is not a top 25 program right now, but they have a lot of talent. Oklahoma, similarly, last year they were not good, but just two years ago they beat us to get to the Final Four. And like we all saw, that five-star freshman um, whose name is escaping me, Trey Young, um, I mean, he's legit. So that was a big positive for me. Um Pritchard played very well, I thought. Paul White had moments where he played very well, especially spacing the floor and shooting the three. Um, And in a weird way, I'll say that this tournament, on a positive light, it gave this team a lot to work on because our weaknesses were certainly exposed as well. Yeah, and and the tough part about having that many games such a short amount of time is that you can't really fix the problems. They just keep... You can't fix them. So they just keep compounding on on themselves, basically. Um, Yeah, parts of... The problems came from just playing... Not playing smart, and also, I think, inexperience in a way. Maybe laziness, because Oklahoma shot 44 free throws. Um... And a lot of those were really dumb fouls. And uh, like, and these are things that Altman said, too. It's just like the offense was completely stagnant for stretches of the game. Um, well, that, just, that wasn't just against Oklahoma as well. So the UConn game, the, the first game we played in the PK-80 tournament, um, in the second half from about the 12-minute mark to the 4-minute mark, there were only two made field goals. Yeah. And, oh, I meant, I meant that was something across the whole tournament. Yeah, and, Sorry, and clear. so Oklahoma played much more man-to-man defense, but UConn was was putting in the the 2-3 zone and offensively we one of our weaknesses across the the whole tournament was that we didn't move as well off ball offensively as we have shown that we can against worse competition. Mm-hmm. Uh when it came time to, I don't know, not even necessarily like crunch time, but when when the team was pressured, when the other team was, was going on a little bit of a run, um, our, especially our guards got very dribble happy, and the off-ball movement did basically just stopped. Um, so that was one of the, the glaring weaknesses to me. Um, Turnovers the entire weekend were were a symptom of that lack of offensive movement. Um, I thought, especially against Oklahoma, but also in, in the other games as well, um, we had some trouble rebounding. Um, now, in the UConn game and, and the DePaul game, we actually out-rebounded both, but we there were stretches in both of those games where we looked like all of the bounces were going the way of the other team. Um, and it, if we're going to have long-term success this year, I think there are really three players that need to play big and get offensive rebounds. And that's Mikhail McIntosh, who's a big body kind of Elgin cook type guy, Paul white and Kenny Wooten. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to have real long, like deep in the tournament success, uh, those three guys are going to have to start snagging boards um, because there were moments where we just we would get a stop and then give it up an offensive rebound. We would get a stop and then give up an offensive rebound. I think there was at least two or three possessions in the Oklahoma game where they got like three looks at the basket, and against a team that good, they're they're going to make you pay for it eventually. Um, but at the same time, the one 
this is the part of the season where Dana Altman is trying to really teach these guys how to play the way that he wants his team to play. Um, early in the year, I had mentioned that we were playing a lot of man-to-man um, and we weren't pressing a ton. We saw the press a lot more this week, this past weekend. We saw the defense start to play that matchup 2-3 zone that Altman fi- favors, especially later in the year and especially coming out of timeouts to switch up the momentum. Um, now, there were times where it looked ugly. I mean, we got burned on the press like three or four possessions in a row in the first half and the second half. Um, but that shows that we're starting to get the playbook in. And eventually they'll figure it out if they're anything like it. Altman coached teams in the past. And we we have the talent. So I think long-term we'll be all right. I don't know. It was it was an up and down weekend for for the basketball squad. Yeah, yeah. But as usual, Dan Allman will probably have him playing great by the time conference play rolls around. Yep, that sounds about right. So, um, you had a stat that you wanted to bring up about Herbert. Uh. Now I'm struggling to find it. Yeah, basically that he, over the season, in the games that he started, his completion percentage was just below 66%. Yes, so the, I, I probably missed, uh, left it out when I was talking about him earlier, but Herbert has been so fantastic this year in games that he's played. Um I would just like to take like a second to talk about how refreshing it is to have him back because over the course of this this season in the games that he's played his completion percentage is 66.5%. He's only taken 6 sacks on the year. And that 66.5% is with an average yards about per attempt of 9.7 yards. Um, now this is obviously a little bit Skewed, but you compare that with Burmeister. Burmeister only had 2.6 yards per attempt downfield, so he was not stretching the field. Um, Herbert is taking bombs, and he's making them. Uh, I mean, some of the some of the throws that he made to Dylan Mitchell in, in the Civil War were unbelievable. So, I'm all in. Hashtag Hubert for Heisman 2018. Yeah. I think realistically, he's too far down the the Heisman awareness right now. Because the Heisman is ba- is basically a two-year campaign, unless something crazy happens. So, I think realistically, he is going to... Basically, Oregon would have to win almost every game next year, which I think is possible... In theory, but is a huge, a huge stretch still. Yeah, but I mean, going it would from be a stretch, it would be a stretch for him. But I mean, the year that Robert Griffin the third won it, nobody expected him to win it until halfway through the season, even. So it's possible, but you're right. It would it would require some very high level team success that will be difficult. Yeah, like right now. Um, Lamar Jackson is having a better year this year than he did last year. And he's nowhere near the Heisman talk because his team is not playing well relative to Oklahoma or um, Ohio State uh, or Penn State or Stanford. Um, And I don't think next year there will simply be... The team won't, won't be good enough for him to get some real serious consideration, unless it's not another like 2007 season where everybody sucks, and so they give it to Tim Tebow. It's possible. Like I mean, those things. I don't know. For this year, there hasn't been a team that has like really jumped out and taken control of everything. I mean, even the the college football playoff rankings just came out. And Clemson is number one, and they just, and they're, they're 
not unblemished. They lost a weird one at Cuse. So it's it's possible. Uh, but you're right. I, I think it's probably a stretch. Uh, but Herbert has been fantastic. And uh, before we go, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our volleyball team. As much as we talk about football and men's basketball, um, they are in the seventh straight NCAA tournament. Uh, their first game is Friday against Kennesaw State. And then they will play, assuming that both favorites win, then they will play BYU. And it's always fun to beat BYU. So Always great. Go Ducks. Um, do we want to touch on bowl projections real fast? Yeah, let's do it next week. Do it next week? Okay. Yeah. Well, rumors are still swirling. Just uh, TLDR. Most of them, most of us, uh, or most people have us going to the Cactus Bowl to play some combination of West Virginia, Kansas State, or Texas Tech. Um, one has us going to the Lockheed Martin Air Forces Bowl. Um, and then there's one other one that has us going to the Vegas Bowl. But as has already been discussed pretty much ad nauseum at this point, that would basically be a huge problem for the coaches' um, recruiting plans, basically. Because the early signing period starts the week after, and it's the last weekend before that signing period starts. So, basically, the coach would rather have all those guys on campus having a blast out last weekend so that they all sign when the period opens up. Yeah. Well, you know, I I see pros and cons. It's I just want a fun matchup. It's it's nice to be back in the bowl. Yeah. If we end up with some... We, we talked about this beforehand, but if we end up against... Uh, Army in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, and it turns into like a Navy Notre Dame matchup where we only get the ball twice on offense in the second half. I'm going to be furious. I will be absolutely furious. Bowl games are for sunshine and for points and for blooming onions. Yes, unfortunately, unfortunately, the Bahamas Bowl is already taken. That's already filled by UAB and Ohio. So shout out to UAB, first year back making a bowl game. Good job, guys. So, okay. Any uh, closing comments? Mm. No, I don't have any sage pieces of wisdom this week. None this week. Well, next week, we'll basically go back over all all of our preseason predictions, recap like the college football season on the whole. Um, and so, basically, we get to bra- brag about how right we were about everything. Yep, your Oregon Ducks 2018 National Champions. Yep. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us and making it all the way. This is actually one of our shorter podcasts at 53 minutes. This is a short one. Like I said, we're just shouting in the void trying to feel better about ourselves. <laughs> um, all right, so that'll do it for us here at Sling and Quack. We'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, Go Ducks. Eat Arby's.